Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, we start a new series this morning called King Jesus because Jesus is a king. But Jesus is a king not like any other king. There's been lots of kings that have come and gone and reigned over their their kingdoms. There's been good kings that have administered justice and peace for all. There have been evil kings who have wielded their, their power to oppress the poor and to gain wealth for themselves. There's been kings that have sat on a throne for merely a number of days. And there's been other kings that have sat upon their throne for decades. You know, King David was Israel's greatest king. Queen Elizabeth has, has reigned with kindness and grace for 70 years. But King Jesus is not like any other king. He, he was not born in a palace, but in a stable. He had no royal robes or worldly wealth. And yet Jesus had power like no other king. He, he had power over nature. You know, he had, he had power over sickness. He had power over evil. He, he had power over people. He had power o- over sin. And yet with all of this power that Jesus had, you know, in his hands, he, he chose to actually befriend a bunch of rough fishermen. He, he chose to eat with the common people. You know, he chose to, to sit and spend his time with, with sinners. Everywhere he went, the crowds followed him. The sick cried out to him. Sinners loved him. But the powers that be were so threatened by him that they didn't give him a throne to sit on, but a cross to hang on. He, he wasn't crowned with jewels, but a crown of thorns was crushed onto his skull. But there's no other king like Jesus. His dead body was placed in a tomb, but on the third day, when the women went to anoint his dead body, he was not there because Jesus is not like any other king. He didn't just have power over sin. He didn't just have power over evil. He had power over death itself. He's a risen king. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And he's worthy of all glory and honour and praise. That is King Jesus. Put your hands together and give him some praise this morning. We have no other intention in this series other than to give glory to King Jesus. I believe God wants to release us into a new freedom in worship. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, you are the King. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no other King like you. Jesus, would you help us to see your power to understand it. Give us greater wisdom and understanding in this series. Jesus, I pray that we would 
give you all the glory and honor and praise that you deserve. You'd set us free to worship you. Every area of our lives. God, as we open your word this morning, speak to us, convict us, challenge us, encourage us. And most importantly, give glory to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please grab a seat. Well, I want to start right at the beginning of uh, the King Jesus story this morning, not right back in the garden, uh, although King Jesus was in the garden and he had all power and authority uh, back then as he uh, brought creation into being. But I want to start at the beginning as we, as we look at the king leaving his throne in heaven and actually choosing to come and redeem fallen humanity. Humanity that's actually chosen to put ourselves on the throne and to kick Jesus off his throne and made a mess of this creation that he made. Matthew chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, open it up. Verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the King of the Jews? We saw this star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king... They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a, they weren't wormed, after being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, some of you right now, you're feeling so festive that you want to go home and put your tree back up and start singing carols. Come on, put your hand up if, uh, if that's you. There's a few of you. Anyone still got their tree or uh, lights up? Haven't put it away yet. Anyone going to be honest here? I've got a few lights still up in the backyard, uh, just trying to keep that festivities uh, rolling in our backyard. But I hate to burst your bubble, but this is actually two years after Jesus' birth. Jesus is no longer in the stable uh, with shepherds, you know, washing their socks and cattle lowing and six geese laying and, you know, partridges in a pear tree. Uh, there's no camels, there's no wise guys in the stable, although I'm pretty sure there will be again by December. All right, just uh, I reckon it might happen. But this is actually two years later. Jesus is now living in a house in, in Bethlehem. He's not in the stable anymore. 
and the Magi have traveled from Persia about uh, 1,500 kilometers, probably a six-month journey uh, on, on their camels, and they, uh, they get to Jerusalem, which is the center for political and religious power in the area, and uh, they presume that's the place to look uh, for this king. They've been following prophecies that Daniel made, one of which Tim read before, uh, that, that Daniel made when he was in exile in, in Persia, like uh, 700 years earlier. And it was written down in their pagan manuscripts about the, these visions and dreams that Daniel had had, and they'd been kept. And, and they knew from reading, you know, all that Daniel had prophesied that now was the time. And so they'd head from their faraway land, they'd come to Jerusalem, believing this was where, you know, the king would be, and, they, uh, and everyone's disturbed by this. It says that King Herod and all of Jerusalem is disturbed because they've been waiting for this promised Messiah, they've been waiting for these prophecies to come true, but not heard anything for 400 years, and then out of the blue, these outsiders that, that weren't even part of the story turn up, and it says they're greatly disturbed. And they ask the question, you know, where is this King of the Jews, this promised Messiah to be born? And they quote from Micah, to Herod gets all of the teachers of the law, gets all the religious leaders together, and they quote from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and says he's to be born in Bethlehem. That's what it says. That's, that's where he, he's going to come. And so they get back on their camels and they trot from, from Jerusalem to, to Bethlehem and they see this star that they've been waiting for over the house. And it says that they're so overjoyed that they go in and they worship him. You know, this is actually a story of two kings there's a very wealthy and powerful, yet insecure and prideful king who's threatened by the arrival of a baby king. You know, Christmas is not that long ago, and so we know when Herod says, let me know when you find him, because I too want to go and worship him. We know that's a lie. That he actually intended to wipe out, you know, Jesus. He intended to wipe out, you know, any threat to his throne, pride and fear got in the way of Herod going to worship another king. And I, want to, I wonder whether some of us, pride and fear, gets in the way of us worshiping King Jesus. We're too worried about what other people might think, or, or we're too you know, fearful of, uh, of what it would actually truly mean to lay our whole lives down in surrender, in worship to the king. Pride and fear can actually stop us worshipping the true king. But there's a second king, and this second king is two years old. He's got no worldly power, he's got no wealth, and he's got no way of defending himself. But when these wealthy, well-read, intelligent men of great honour, wisdom, reputation, these were men that were glorified. These were men that were honoured. These were men that were praised. These were men of great reputation. But when they came into this house and they saw this two-year-old king, they bowed down and they worshipped him. That's not normal. Think about bowing down to a two-year-old. I mean, I, I love my two-year-old granddaughter. 
and she is the center of attention and affection in our home. But I have never bowed down in worship to her. You know, and they give this two-year-old king, this toddler, they give him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, which are pretty strange gifts to give to a two-year-old. I mean, two-year-olds get cool gifts like dolls' houses and train sets. And two-year-olds give gifts that aren't that significant in worldly terms. Now, these are the gifts I've received from my two-year-old granddaughter recently. This is a, uh, fo- a drawing of Dumpa up on the screen. That's what she calls me. And uh, she put it in a frame, or mum might have helped to do that. And it hangs on my office wall. She wanted me to receive this gift. She's a very talented girl. <laughs> the, the other gift is lately she's uh, discovered nail polish and she decided to be a gift to actually paint grandpa's toes. And it's a gift that keeps on giving because I forget about it and I walk around the shops in a pair of thongs and I look down and that's what my toes look like. That's about the extent of the gifts that a two-year-old is capable of giving. This is important. These guys come into the room and they worship the king not for what he can give them, not for the great gifts that he can give them. They come and worship the king because he is simply a gift from heaven. And so when we come to worship, we're not coming, you know, to worship God because he gives us cool stuff during the week, because he's done good things for us during the week. We do give thanks for that. We do, you know, honor him for that. But we come to worship no matter what we've received during the week, simply because we've been given a gift from heaven. King Jesus. See, our worship does not hinge on the good things that we've been given In this season, our worship hinges on the gift that we've been given for all of eternity. They gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold was a gift for royalty. It's what kings gave to one another to honor one another out of their treasury. Now, frankincense was, was a gift for gods. Still today, all over the world, you know, people dad, bow down and worship idols and burn incense in the temple. As they worship the one true God, they burn incense. It was a gift for a god. And, and myrrh was a burial spice. It was a gift for humanity. It was an acknowledgement that this, that this king was divine but he was also human. And that one day his body was going to be laid to rest. You see, Jesus is a king, not like any other king. King Jesus is divine. It wasn't unusual back then for egotistical kings to claim that they were divine. And they built statues for people to bow down to. 
That's what had happened in the time when Daniel was in exile. A number of kings had come and they built statues of themselves for all the people to bow down to as gods. And part of Daniel's prophecy was, yes, these gods, these kings will rise up and they will fall down. They'll rise up and they'll fall down, but there is a king that is coming whose reign will never end. But Jesus didn't just fulfill the prophecy that through Daniel that got the wise men to Bethlehem. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies throughout the Old Testament, over seven centuries. He fulfilled every single one of them. No one person, no group of people could organize that. It's one of the ways that we know that Jesus was not like any other king. He wasn't like any other man. He was actually divine because throughout history, God had organized one man, one person in history to actually fulfill all of the promises of this coming king who would step down from heaven to earth. You know, Jesus was a divine king. He was God. But the birth of King Jesus was not a last-minute decision by God to fix the problems in this world. It was always God's plan for him to leave the throne room of heaven, to redeem humanity, to establish his kingdom on the earth. King Jesus is divine. This is one of the reasons that we worship him. has made such a difference in our lives is that King Jesus became human. Philippians chapter 2 It says this, He being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to be held on to, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, the divine king chose to humble himself. He chose to become one of us, to become human, to empty himself of all of his right to hold on to divinity so that he could identify with us. And he does. You know, we have a great high priest, we have a great king named Jesus who's been through every temptation we've been through. We see in this story, you know, because of this, uh, this uh, king who was threatened, Jesus was, and his family were forced to be refugees in Egypt as they were growing up where they knew nobody. As he grows up and begins his ministry, he's misunderstood, he's rejected, you know, he's, he's abandoned, he's abused. He faced an unjust jury, and ultimately he was put to death. You see, we have a king in heaven who actually became human, and he can identify with us, and it's actually his death on a cross that he identifies with us the most. See, it's, it's our death that we deserve that he took for us. It's our sin that took him to the cross. It's actually because he was obedient to death on a cross that our sins can be forgiven, that we can be redeemed, that our sins can be put to death. What once separated us from the love of God is dealt with. King Jesus, not like any other king. He's divine, but he became human. That's why they've given him this gift of myrrh, because they knew 
that he was going to die. And we see in John chapter 19, Nicodemus brings myrrh to actually bury Jesus' dead body. On the third morning, the women went to the tomb carrying spices, most likely combined uh, involving myrrh, to actually anoint his dead body. But you see, King Jesus is not like any other king. King Jesus is divine. King Jesus became human. But King Jesus will always be the king because his dead body wasn't there. So in Philippians, it goes on to say, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He defeated death. He's reigning forever on his throne, and he's coming again one day to judge the living and the dead. King Jesus is not like any other king. He's a divine king. He became human, and he'll always be king because he defeated death. And one day, when he comes again, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. But the question today is, there's no question about that's going to happen. That will happen. But the question is, right now, Will you choose to bow down and worship the king? Or like Herod, let pride and fear get in the way of your worship. Wise people still worship the king. These guys were wise. They were intelligent. They were well-read. They were influential men. They understood in their minds that this was an incredible thing that was happening after 700 years. All of these promises were coming to be. But these wise, well-read, intelligent men, as they get to Jesus, this was not just cerebral. This wasn't just, you know, giving lip service. This wasn't just saying, you know, we know something important is happening here. We understand it in our minds because of all of our study. This actually becomes emotional. They actually express their worship of the king. It says Matthew's gone to, to, to some you know, trouble to let us know that they were overjoyed. It wasn't that they came and did the right thing. When they got there, they were overjoyed. And when they came into the room, it, it wasn't just to say, oh, here's the king. They bowed down. They got on their faces and says, this guy, this two-year-old is the king. I believe God, for some of us, is wanting us to take us from a head knowledge and a confession of who Jesus is to, to a place of understanding it and feeling it in our heart, expressing it in our love for God. I believe God's calling us into a new joy in praise, a new surrender in worship. And I want to finish just really practically this morning with some ways that we can express our worship to God, the right through Scripture. This is not a complete list, but these are some ways right through Scripture, particularly through the Psalms. We see that we express 
our love and our worship for God. Firstly, clapping. Psalm 47, verse 1, it says uh, this, clap your hands, all you people. Put your hand up if you are all people. Put your hand up if you know how to clap. Are you sure? Because just hang on. I preached in a Pentecostal church a little while ago, and I'm 60 seconds into my sermon. I had three standing ovations. And I just had to stop and say, hey, look, I'm a Baptist. I'm used to Baptist clapping. Baptists clap when Jesus himself walks into the room. If you're going to keep clapping like this, we're going to be, I'm going to be still preaching next Sunday. You know, we clap. When we go to a great concert, we, we clap at amazing performance. When we go to a school awards night, we clap at participation, even when the performance isn't amazing. You know, when we go to a movie, we clap an amazing performance sometimes, even when the performers aren't in the room. We clap. When we clap in church, this is important, we're not clapping the talent standing on this stage, although we've got a really talented worship team. When we clap in church, we're clapping our amazing God. We're saying, God, you're incredible. You're wonderful. You are worthy of all of our praise. I just want to see if Baptists can clap this morning. Just a little test. Just wait. You know, Jesus Christ, eternal Son of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he left the throne room of heaven and became like one of us and suffered in every way that we've suffered, tempted in every way that we're tempted. Chose to turn towards Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to a cross, knowing that on that cross... He would be spat upon. They would whip him within an inch of his life and a crown of thorns would be placed on his head. But what he really knew, the darkness of that hour, was that in that moment, he would take upon his body the sins of all mankind, the death that we deserved, and that is his blood flowed down. It would give you and I the opportunity to have our sins washed away. And be right with God again. His dead body was laid in a tomb. But on the third day, as the women went to anoint, to honor his dead body, he wasn't there. He rose from the grave. Death could not hold him down. He's been exalted to the highest place above every other name, every other power, every other authority. Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There's no one else like King Jesus and he is worthy of all glory, honour and praise. Okay, we do know how to do it. That was just a test. It's always been one of the ways that we express 
our worship to the greatness of our God. Secondly, singing. Psalm 95, verse 1. It says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. You know, all of human history, people have sung for joy. In every culture, people have have sung for joy. People have sung with thanksgiving. People have sung, you know, for victory. You know, in our culture, when it's somebody's birthday, what do we do? What do we do? We sing. Not allowed to blow candles out anymore, but we still sing. We're celebrating, you know, something great. You know, when we gather together as a nation on important times, important days, what do we do? Australians all let us rejoice. We sing for joy when the Australian cricket team, you know, wins the ashes. These grown men, these kings of sport, they stand on the table in their dressing room and they sing under the Southern Cross I stand. I never got to play for Australia, but when I played second division rugby, we did exactly the same thing. A victory, we sung for joy. It was a ridiculous song. It went like this, bless them all, bless them all. It's back to the valley we go. We won't sit here and be disgraced. It's back to the valley and drink with our mates. Something about the schooners being small and the rest of it, I'm not allowed to sing in church. But we'd, we'd sing it and we'd jump up and down on the tables. We would dance. We would bash the walls. We'd make sure the whole suburb heard that we just won a victory. Then next morning, I'd go to church and, and I'd sit in pews like this and we'd sing, He is Lord. He is Lord. Just check, no one can hear me. He is risen from the dead. Woohoo! And he is. That didn't make sense to me. One victory was because of 15 bullheads beat another bunch of bullheads up and got an inflated pigskin over a white line. And we let the whole town know we sang for joy. The other, we've got a God who died on our behalf so that we can know him forever. That, my friends, is a victory. That's a reason. That's a reason to sing for joy. It goes on, Psalm 95, it says, sing for joy to the Lord and shout aloud. Actually, you read through the Psalms, It talks about shouting almost as much as singing. That there are times to shout in worship to the king. There's a shout of victory, but there's also a shout of faith. Let me just read Isaiah 54, uh, verse 1. It says, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor. He's saying, Shout. Before you've even been delivered, it's a shout of faith. It's a shout believing that there is a king on his throne and he can bring breakthrough. And we shout, you know, and we we give worship to the king for what he's already done, but we also shout in faith while we're waiting for God to come through. 
I remember doing that, you know, out on that patch of grass out there where that kids and youth building now stands. Before we had any money, before we had any approvals, before, you know, we'd, we'd done anything, we stood out on that grass and we prayed. And we shouted in faith and believed that young people were going to be redeemed, their lives were going to be transformed. And we've seen God come through. We've seen God provide. We've seen God at work in our generations. I missed it a couple of weeks ago, but I heard it was a great morning. There's generations down the front. We prayed over them, celebrated what God is doing you know, in our families. I remember at that time, Susan and I had a, one of our daughters was very sick. I remember standing there and shouting in faith, praying for her faith, praying for her to be healed in body, mind, and spirit when there was no visible evidence of that happening. I've seen God come through. There is power that's released from heaven as we shout in faith. It's why the Psalms tells us time and time again, come, sing for joy to the Lord and shout aloud to the rock of our salvation, the only one who can save. There's clapping, there's singing, there's shouting, there's lifting of hands. Psalm 130, 34, verse 2, it says, lift your hands in the sanctuary. Many of you are parents or grandparents, how good does it feel when your child runs to you at the door with their arms stretched out, just waiting for you to pick them up? How good does it feel in your heart? I'm reminded again, being a granddad, just how good that feels. I actually think it's the same thing that happens for our Father in heaven. We lift out our hands and say, I'm here for you, Dad. I've given it all to you, Dad. I, I want to know your embrace. I worship you. Lift your hands in the sanctuary. I think, think it brings joy to the Father. Some of you come from a tradition of not lifting hands in worship, and I'm very worried about you. I'm worried that someday someone will come in here and say, stick it up, <laughs> and you'll refuse and you'll get shot dead. I've got a few more laughs at 10 than at 8. <laughs> you know, there's all different types of lifting hands. There's a very subtle, just carry your TV. <laughs> there's a slightly nervous one hand on the wallet and one hand in the air. <laughs> I don't mind that one, it's pretty cool. And then there's just full-blown, you know, caution to the wind, full traffic controller. <laughs> I'm not here to judge anybody by how many hands they lift in the air. But I do think our Father in heaven loves it. I think it brings him great joy when his kids just come before him and say, I love you. I love you. I'm not here to judge anybody by how expressive you are in worship. My, my question is, what would you do if the king passed by? What would you do if the king passed by? 
This is what happens when the Queen passes by. There's the Queen, 1975, in Sydney, coming to open the Sydney Opera House. And my grandfather, who was a staunch monarchist, loved the royal family, loved that his photo was in the Woman's Weekly. <laughs> That's him taking a photo of the Queen as she passed by. And I remember him telling me just how much joy there was as she went past. People lined the streets. People were yelling. People were singing, God bless the Queen. You know, people were waving flags. People, there was just joy. People were whistling. There was incredible joy because the Queen was passing by. Now, it looked pretty strange if you lined the street tomorrow morning when your kids get on the school bus and pass by. If you start whistling and screaming out, you know, and, and, uh, and cheering, that'll look pretty strange and your kids won't talk to you for weeks. But when the Queen's passing by, that makes sense. This is what we need to understand, church. When we come together in this room, on Resurrection Sunday, the King is in the room. The King's in the room. He's alive. He's here to bless you. He's here to minister to you. He's here to, to be lifted up in worship. It's why we meet as the church for the last 2,000 years on Resurrection Sunday. It's why Sunday is the day, because it's the day that we discovered that this king was not like any other king. He's defeated the grave. He rose from the dead, and he gives us new life. What are you going to do when the king is in the room? He deserves clapping, singing, shouting, lifting hands, and lastly, bowing down. You know, we see in this story, these men come in the room, they're very intelligent, very wealthy, two-year-old child. And they just knew the proper thing was to bow down. That was a proper worship, surrender themselves. Matthew chapter 4, Satan knew exactly the same thing says to Jesus, all of these kingdoms will be yours. I'll give you everything if you'll bow down and worship me. Satan himself knew that bowing down was the proper way to worship. And he wanted it. He wanted that surrender. You see, you see worship is singing, it's clapping, it's shouting, it's lifting hands, but it's bowing down and saying, you're in charge. I worship you with my whole life. I want you more than any other thing. For Herod, fear and pride got in the way. There's no way. He wanted his power. He wanted his autonomy threatened. He wanted to hold on to everything he had for himself. Fear and pride stopped him from worshiping so much so the ordered for every two-year-old boy to be killed in the region. Now, none of us are going to do that. But for many of us, fear and pride can hinder our worship, can stop us coming and bowing down and saying, I give you everything. 
I know those temptations. When I stop and think about it, I'm actually really grateful that there's someone with wisdom greater than mine. I'm actually really grateful that there's someone who has power, that has control over that which I can't control. I'm actually really grateful when I look in the mirror and look at my own brokenness and weakness that there's someone greater than me in charge of this world, in charge of my family. I'm actually really grateful. He's worthy of all of our worship. He's worthy of all glory and praise. But there is one more reason that we notice in this story there's a good idea to worship. When the wise men arrive in Jerusalem, they needed somebody else to explain the Bible to them. But after they worshipped the king, God spoke to them themselves. That's a good change. God began to speak to them in the same way in a dream like he'd spoken to Daniel 700 years earlier. And without making too much of that point, I found that to be really true in my own life. I can come into this room or into a a private room on my own, just uh, singing along to my little jukebox. And I I can come in perplexed. But as I begin to worship the king... He gives me wisdom that I was never going to work out on my own. I can come in full of fear and just overwhelmed with what is happening around me. But as I worship the king, fear just begins to drop off because I realize there's somebody else in charge. And my little problems are little compared to all of eternity that I'm going to get to enjoy with him. Sometimes I can walk into this room full of anger, disappointment, resentment, bitterness with what other people have done to me. As I worship the king, the king who loved me so much that he would leave heaven to die on a cross so that I could be in his presence forever, forgiveness poured out for me on that cross, held nothing back from me. Something begins to change in my heart. Anger and bitterness and resentment. Just little bit by little bit, God just begins to change my heart as I worship Him. Wise men, they need somebody else to explain the Bible to them. But after they worshipped the King, they heard God for themselves. I believe God... He wants to do that for us. He wants to bring us into a new joy in praise, a new surrender in worship, and He wants to draw us into a greater intimacy with Himself. Can we stand together this morning? You know, we sometimes look at this uh, time in history that we're living in, and we look at the news and we go, oh man, this world's spinning out of control. If you read some history books, you'd see that there's some other pretty tough times in history. First century, despotic leaders wreaking havoc on believers, wiping out villages, pain and suffering. And the church was starting to wonder, is this world spinning out of control? 
Is Jesus really on His throne? Does He really have any power? And is He coming again? In the first century, Jesus gave His mate John a little peek into heaven. And as they're looking around heaven, this big drama is there being outplayed. They're looking around, you know, heaven. Is there anybody here who's worthy? Is there anyone who's worthy to open the scrolls, open what gives power over life and death? Is there anybody here who's worthy? And only one that's found that's worthy, the sacrificial lamb, the one who had died. And as John and all of heaven see the Lamb upon the throne, as they see Jesus upon the throne, it says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and all of the elders. And in a loud voice, this is what they were saying. They were saying it then, and they're still saying it now because Jesus is still on the throne. They're saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And then every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And then all the living creatures said, Amen. And everybody bowed down, they fell down and they worshipped King Jesus.
Hey, I just want to pray for a bunch of people. I'm not going to get too close to you today. I'm only just out of isolation with COVID. But I'd love to pray over us as a church. I just believe if some of you here, you know this is in your heart. You, you just say, I, I want to know a new freedom in worship. I want to be part of this. I want to be part of the new thing that God does in His church. I, I want to be part of just seeing joy fully expressed. I've just seen surrender in the hearts of young and old people. I, I actually, I, I don't have a human way of making it happen. It's a supernatural move of God. As he moves in His church, as He moves in His people. Some of you today just saying, I want to be part of that. Just, just come to the front now. Just say, I want that new freedom in worship. I want to be part of leading the way. Come on, I just want to pray over you. I won't spit on you. Come on, come now. Come on. I know some of you just, just come. So that's my heart. That's my heart. That's my heart. Come on. Just put your hands out to receive this morning. God, I just believe, men and women that you've called here, you've called by name, you've called into your family, you've called them to declare the praises of Him who has actually called them out of darkness and into light. And God, I pray, I just pray for a new freedom in worship a freedom to sing and to clap and to shout, a freedom to dance, a freedom that brings joy. God, I pray for just an overwhelming joy in their hearts. It just be incredible joy in coming into your presence and lifting up your name. And God, I pray that it would be infectious, that it would flow around them that God, others would see the joy in their hearts, both here in this room, in the family, in the workplace, that be an overflowing joy, God. God, would you release where there is pride and fear just holding us back. God, would you bring release and freedom in Jesus' name. God, pray that you'd set set people free to write songs, set people free to worship you in spirit and in truth, set people free to write poetry that just leads people into your presence, set people free just to lift their hands and to clap and to shout. God, I pray for a freedom in Jesus' name. Come on, one more chorus. Holy, holy, holy. Come on, let's go. Let's lift up the name of Jesus in this place.
Hey, can I, uh, can I just encourage some dads in the room for a minute? Let, let your kids, I wish I'd done this more, to be honest. Let your kids just see you worshipping the King. Let, it, let them see that it is not just head knowledge for you. That this is, this is the deep longing of your heart to worship the King. Don't, don't let pride and fear get in the way. One of the greatest testimonies you can give to your kids, dads, is, is just to see you just finding such joy in the presence of your Father in heaven. Bless you. Enjoy. Download some playlists this week. Find a place just to... Don't come here on a Sunday empty, waiting to get filled up. Come here primed. You've already primed the pump. You've primed the pump. You've been worshipping all week. You're just primed, ready to go. There's an overflowing that needs to come, come out. I just know this is a word for someone here this morning. You've just regularly found yourself coming here empty to get filled up. And God's been gracious and He's been good to you. But what He's saying is, I want you to come here primed. I want you to come here full of living water. I want you to come here drinking deeply from my well during the week. So when you come here, worship just overflows. Thanksgiving overflows. Encouragement overflows. Come primed. Bless you. God's good. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click Get Connected to let us know.